Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. I read a survey that said that 70% of Americans believe many religions lead to God. In fact, now some Christian denominations are starting to teach. There are various religions that can get you to heaven. I've got to tell you about something evil that happened recently. The large liberal branch of Lutheranism, of which I used to be a part, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, just had their convention. They had people from non-Christian religions on the stage, and they voted to pass something called a Declaration of Interreligious Commitment, quote, we must be careful about claiming to know God's judgments regarding another religion. All we know and all we need to know is we are called to love and serve people. One voting member, God bless him, got up and basically said, what do you mean we don't know what God thinks of non-Christian religions? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the only way to the Father. They voted him down and by 97% passed this, this statement. You know, is it any wonder the number of missionaries of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America has gone way down? Because, hey, if everybody's saved, or they might be, let's bring the missionaries home. Today we're going to study a parable of Jesus where he will teach, no, what you do with me determines where you spend eternity. There's not 10 ways, there's one way to get to the Father. We're going to study what's called the parable of the vineyard. Let me set this up. The word parable is a Greek word, parabole. Para means along, bole means to lay. A parabole, a parable, is a laying alongside. Jesus would tell the crowd a story and then later, privately to the disciples, he would lay alongside what the story really meant. Most parables only make one point. And if you try to press the details of the parable to mean something, you get lost. There is one parable, however, where you can pretty much press all the details. I think this is the longest, one of the longest of the parables. The parable of the vineyard will teach us a lot now. So here we go. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 12, the parable of the vineyard, and see if you can figure out what this parable means. Here we go. Mark chapter 12. Let's pray first. Father, as we study this great story that Jesus told, we would pray that you just enlighten us to what it means. And if we need to leave a church that is teaching falsehood, to join a good church that is teaching the truth of this parable, help people to leave bad churches, even if they've been there 60 years, and join a good church. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the 
wine press and built a tower, and he leased it to tenants and went into another country. Can you kind of guess what this is? Here we go. The man in the story is God the Father. The vineyard is the people Israel. We know that Israel is the vineyard because in the Old Testament, Isaiah 5, God called the Jews his vineyard. He lends the, tenant, the, the, the vineyard out to tenants. That would be the leaders of the Jews during Jesus' day. We know that because of a few verses coming up. And then God went to another country. That's symbolic of God's transcendence, that God is, is not with us in the immediate sense. He went away. Verse 2. When the season came, he, God the Father, sent a servant to the tenants, the Jewish leaders, to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. All right, the season there is symbolic of time for obedience. The servant he sends is some Old Testament prophet. He sends them to the tenants, again, that would be the Jewish leaders, to get fruit, that would be obedience. Verse 3. And they, the Jewish leaders, took him, the prophet, and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. All right, the beating there is symbolic of the maltreatment of Old Testament prophets. They got beat up. Uh, send, sent away empty-handed means that they offered the prophet no obedience. Verse 4. And again he, God, sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. Another servant would be another Old Testament prophet. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. The beloved son is Jesus. Verse 7, but those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come let us kill him and the inheritance, the vineyard, will be ours. The heir, there again is Jesus, killing him is the crucifixion of Christ that would happen in the future at this point. And the inheritance is control of the Jews. The Jewish leaders didn't like it that the people were following Christ instead of them now, so they want control of the vineyard. Verse 8, and they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Out of the vineyard might be, and this is iffy, a reference to Jesus dying right outside of Jerusalem. Verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. The destruction of the tenants symbolizes 70 A.D., when the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem and the Jews were scattered. It's also symbolic of the second coming of Christ when he will come and destroy his enemies. Uh, the vineyard is the kingdom of God and the others is God takes the kingdom then and he gives it to the Gentiles and that becomes the church ultimately. Now there's a second mini parable. It's a separate parable. Look at verse 10. Jesus says to these Jewish leaders, have you not read the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the parable of the cornerstone. Jesus is the stone. Those who rejected him were the Jewish leaders. Him becoming the cornerstone is a reference to his glorification, resurrection, and people coming to him. Verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest Jesus, but feared the people, for they perceived that he told this parable against them, the chief priests. So they left him and went away. That is perhaps the most detailed of all the parables Jesus told. What I want to do for the rest of the sermon now is just share with you 
some life lessons for us from this parable. Lesson number one. God owns the vineyard. He has the right to expect our obedience. Now think of this. Everything you have has been given to you from God. Your breath, your lungs, your hands, your feet, everything you own has been given to you from God. So he has the right to expect obedience from you. I mean, we hear a lot about gay rights and women's rights and abortion rights and laborers' rights. Well, how about God's rights? God made everything. He owns everything. So it's right to give him obedience. Second lesson from this parable. If you are a prophet, expect ill treatment. <laughs> expect to get beaten up, according to this parable. Now, way back in 1997, I was still a pastor in the liberal evangelical Lutheran Church in America. That's the liberal branch of Lutheranism. There's more biblical branches, but that's, I was part of the liberal bunch until my congregation and I left for more biblical pastors, shall we say. One of the things that made us left is this. Way back in 1997, I discovered the ELCA Lutheran Church pays for abortion for any reason with offering dollars in the pastor's health care plan. I sent a letter to 11,000 churches saying, what? And you should have seen my mail. I mean, some pastors were appreciative. That You're right, Pastor Brock, this is awful. Some of it was, how dare you? We went to the National Convention in 1997, lost 2-1. to one. The ELCA, to this day, pays for abortion. And I said to my congregation, let's get out of here. And we joined a more biblical Lutheran denomination. My point is... If you take a stand for righteousness in this evil world, and even in the church, <laughs> expect to get beaten up, but do it anyway. Next lesson. The murder of the Messiah was caused by selfishness. This, this parable teaches that the reason the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead was because the Jews weren't following them anymore, they were following Jesus. And I would say the main reason most people don't want Jesus in their vineyard is, I want to run my vineyard. I don't want Jesus running my vineyard. But, but follow this. That's so illogical. Follow this. If you really love you, if you're really selfish and care about your well-being for now and for eternity, you're going to come to Jesus. I mean, that just makes sense. And the devil blinds people, but if you really are concerned about you and your eternal welfare and your present welfare, let Jesus into your vineyard. Next lesson. God is slow to anger. In this parable, it takes a long time for God to get angry. God has a long fuse. Aren't you glad God is slow to anger. If he wasn't, we'd all be dead and in hell. But in this story, God's slow to anger. Hallelujah. There's a story that years ago, an atheist farmer wrote a letter to the Iowa newspaper. And they printed it. Letter to the editor, Dear Sir, I am an atheist. My neighbors are Christians. So I did an experiment. In the fall, I planted all my crops on Sunday. My Christian neighbors won't work on Sunday. 
And then I, I worked the land every Sunday. And this October, I harvested my crops on Sunday. And I discovered that I have a bigger yield and a better crop than all my Christian neighbors signed the atheist. Well, the editor added a little note under the letter that they printed. Dear sir, God does not settle all his accounts in October. Signed, the editor. <laughs> we have a long-suffering, a patient God. He's slow to anger. But here's the next lesson from this parable. There comes a day. God doesn't always hold back his anger. Sometimes, for the sake of justice, he steps in and he acts. There is a, a river that has a sign on the bank of the river, point of no return. Meaning, if you're canoeing and you go past that point, no matter how much you try to back paddle, you're going over the falls. Has America reached the point of no return and we're, we're going to be judged? I kind of think so. I don't have cable TV. I just have regular TV in my house. So I'm going like this the other night, and I stumble across ABC, Bachelor in Paradise TV show. I watched it just for a couple of minutes. They had two women in bikinis having a lesbian makeout session. And they didn't just show it, boom. It was like zoom in the camera, and it was, they just showed them making out and making, and I turned off the TV, and I prayed for America, how we have fallen. And you know, with all of the pornography, premarital sex, abortion, and now gay marriage, I wonder if America hasn't passed the point of no return. I don't know. Next lesson. Beware of rejecting God's messengers, especially the Son. In other words, the 70% of Americans that think many roads lead to heaven, the denominations, these liberal denominations that are starting to teach that, they don't know their Bible. Beware of rejecting God's messengers. Jesus says what you do with me will determine where you spend eternity. And that leads to the next lesson. Next lesson. Destruction comes to those who reject Jesus. In this parable, the tenants who reject Jesus, finally they get destroyed. So, if you go to my website, pastorstudy.org, you'll see a Facebook button. If you push that button, you can read all of my Facebook articles. One of my recent articles is about the ELCA Lutheran Bishop in New York. He rode in the gay pride parade with a big sign, this bishop loves you. And he's writing, he wrote an article about it. And he said, a young gay man came up to me and said, you mean bishop, I'm not going to hell? And I told him, no, you're not going to hell. Yes, but what about the Bible? And the bishop says, no, you're not going to hell. And in the rest of the article, the bishop explains, nobody goes to hell. Well, has the bishop read this parable? Jesus sends these people to destruction who reject him. Last lesson. If you are unfaithful, God can take what is yours and give it to others. The Jews were unfaithful with the kingdom, so God took it from them and gave it to the Gentiles. They became the church. 
Saul, the king, was unfaithful, so God took away his kingship and gave it to David. Judas was an unfaithful apostle, so God took his apostleship and gave it to Matthias. God, if you're unfaithful to God, God can take what he has given to you and give it to other people. Again, I can't help but think of the United Church of Christ, the PCUSA Presbyterians, the ELCA Lutherans, the Episcopal Church, the Disciples of Christ. All these denominations have departed from Scripture. What's happening to them? They're shrinking. And where are people going to church? These big non-denominational Bible churches where people still believe in the Bible. If you're unfaithful, God can take what is yours and give it to somebody else. It's happening. Last lesson from this parable. Next lesson. It's not quite last. Next lesson. <laughs> Evil men cannot thwart God's plan. The tenants keep trying to kill God and his messengers, and in the end, God wins. Evil men cannot thwart God's plan. Maybe the biggest crowd I've ever preached to was this big pro-life worship service, lots of Catholics and evangelicals and, and such. And, and I said at that service, the Supreme Court says abortion is okay. One day, the Supreme Supreme Court will say differently. Because in the end, God wins. <laughs> now we're here for the last lesson. Last lesson is this. Even clear warnings cannot turn around those set on doing evil. God keeps warning these Jewish leaders, and they just keep going like this. And if your heart is set on doing evil, not any, even an angel from God can turn you around. I'm going to share this story. Years ago, I was a preacher for a year in Indiana. The church secretary told me this story one night. She said, when I was a young woman, she was older when she told me this, on Wednesday nights I used to drive through the country to a small town where I would sin. She didn't tell me what it was, but I'm guessing she had a boyfriend. And she said, Tom, whenever I would come around the hill in the countryside, there was a man standing in a white robe next to, the, next to the road. And she said, I could kind of see through him. But I still went on and committed the sin. And she said, this happened a number of times when she would see this man as she was driving. But she said to me, every time, I still continued. My, my, my last question to you is, has God been warning you about something for a long time and you're just going like this to God. Don't do that. God only wants what's best for you. For your sake, for your salvation, for your well-being, listen to God's messengers. And I've got one last thing to share and this is, this is tragic. I am on a clergy Facebook page with present and former ELCA Lutheran pastors and, and seminarians. Lots of liberal people and a few of us conservatives go back and forth. Well, one of the liberals wrote a, a, a Facebook post saying, the New Testament Greek does not condemn two men for having sex. It's only condemning older men from raping boys. So I wrote back and I said, go to my website, pastorstudy.org, read my article, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? On the same website, you'll see my story of my personal struggle with same-sex attraction. And so you know what? So he did that, and then he wrote back on the Facebook page. Here's what he wrote. 
I read through some of your stuff, and guess what? Pastor, you are denying your own sexuality. You said yourself you struggled with homosexual urges. Don't struggle, man. Just embrace it. Uh, God doesn't make mistakes. Uh, 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 sexuality is a wonderful gift from God. Uh, we sh God doesn't condemn that as long as it's loving and consensual. If God condemns love, that's a God I cannot believe in. I wrote back. I believe it is dangerous and eternally hurtful to tell people they may live a life of homosexual behavior and still be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The teaching of scripture and the historic teaching of the church has been unanimous. I will stay with the way Christians have always understood the Bible on this. Everything God does, he does for our good. I believe if I would have followed my flesh on this temptation years ago, I'd be dead. I praise God for the people he put in my life who encouraged me to live a single, celibate life. My point is, you know, it's beyond tragic. Lutheran pastors used to encourage people to be saved. These people are encouraging people to ignore God's warning and be damned. And my last point to you from this parable is God sent warning after warning after warning. They ignored it and they all were destroyed. If you have been warned by God about something, for the sake of your good, listen to God and follow what he's saying. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. In light of what you talked about today, Pastor Brock, my first question is, what happened to the Jews after 70 AD? Okay, the timeline is kind of like this. 33 AD or so, Jesus dies on the cross. And if you remember when he was carrying his cross to the crucifixion, the women are crying and he says, women cry for yourselves because of what's going to happen to this city because of their rejection of me. So in 70 AD, as punishment for the rejection of the Messiah, God allows the Romans to come in and wipe out Jerusalem. And the Jews are scattered to the four winds until 1948, after World War II, the Jews from around the world came back, became a nation again, the nation of Israel. Nobody saw that coming. But a lot of Christians, and I too, believe that was setting things up for the end of time, where some of the prophecies of the Jews uh, will be fulfilled. So, Well, do most Jews still reject Jesus today then? Yeah, most Jews and most non-Jews, the Gentiles. Okay, because that was my second yeah. question for you is what yeah. about the Gentiles? Well, let's explain this. The Jews are people who are descendants of Abraham. The Gentiles, the word Gentile means nations. That's everybody else. So you got the Jews, most of whom do not believe in Christ. You got the nations, most of the nations. Most of the nations don't follow Christ either. So, so they have rejected him. Yeah. So do you think the Jews will always reject Jesus? You or know, do you think that yeah. now think of this, Jackie. Jesus and all the apostles were Jewish. And then the apostle Paul gets converted. Paul was as Jewish as he could be, and he was, he was an intellectual, and he starts to wonder, well, how come God sends the Jewish Messiah to the Jews, and they reject him? And he writes Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 to answer that question. And so I would encourage people, read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, and in that 
uh, portion of scripture, Paul says there will be a large, con I, there was, this is the way I read it, there will be a conversion of Jews to Christ before the end. So they will be coming back around uh, to be the chosen people. Okay, you said the word messianic in there. Messianic, yeah. What are messianic okay. Jews and uh, are they just different from the other? Right, a messianic Jew is a Jew who believes in Christ as their Messiah. So they're, they're Christian Jews is basically what they are. And Messianic Jews are normally fine, Jackie. There are some strange Jewish Christian groups, and I think they're mostly made up not of Jews, but of Gentiles who really want to be Jewish. And some of those groups get strange. But Messianic Jews, they believe in the Trinity and the deity of Christ. Some of these strange Jewish Christian groups actually I think can deny the deity of Christ. You have to observe the, fee the Old Testament festivals. You have to not work on Saturday and it can get, it can get, um, Paul wrote the book of Galatians to say we don't have to go back to keeping some of the Jewish laws like circumcision, so. Well, if God is a God of love, why would he destroy people like this in this Parable. Yeah, this parable, at the end of the parable, yeah, those destroyed. who kill the son, they get destroyed. Right. And why would God do that? Well, he, he, he is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And so, uh, you know, the, the New Testament, Old Testament too, teaches God is a God of wrath. He hates sin. At the same time, he's a God of love. So both are true, Jackie. Okay, one more last quick question. Okay. What do you say to someone who says, my loving Jesus would never send anyone to hell? I would have to say to that person, but Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 41, says, depart from me, you evildoers, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So if somebody says, my loving Jesus wouldn't do that, well, have you read what your loving Jesus himself said? And I mean, if, if you're gonna follow, uh, part of the problem is people have their own invention of who Jesus is, and they follow the Jesus of their own imagination rather than following the Jesus of the Bible. Are there any modern day examples of God taking away the kingdom and giving it to somebody else? Well, I would say that- We've only got a minute. I time. would say that the fact, like I said in the sermon, the Lutheran Church, Methodist Church, Baptist, uh, Episcopal Church, these used to be tremendous biblical denominations, but slowly but surely, some of those, some of those branches have gone extremely liberal, don't believe in the deity of, well, they believe in the deity of Christ, but not that he's the only way, and they're shrinking, and he's giving it to the non-denominational Bible churches. Good. Well, everybody, thanks for being with us, and we want to invite you to go to pastorstudy.org, to S's. You can watch all of our TV shows there. If somebody you know needs to see this show, send them to pastorstudy.org. We invite you to pray for us. We've been doing this show now for 30 years. About nine years ago, we went national, so pray for us. If the Lord nudges you to support us, you'll see an address, and see you next week. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, 
Would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.